Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Jen, you ever walked out of a store without a bag, like without a tote bag? You ever, you ever had that happen to you before? Like forgot my stuff? Yeah, like, you know, like with people nowadays, they bring tote bags into grocery stores so that they don't have to actually purchase plastic bags. Yeah. You ever forgot your bag? one of those bag? people. Yeah, so me, I'm, I'm typically one of those people that brings a tote bag, right? Oh, and uh, okay. there's just one time because, you know, they passed this sort of law or ordinance that says you got to pay like 10 cents for a plastic bag. But I'm, I'm one of those people that cares about the environment. So I usually bring a tote bag, but there's just one time, it's one time I forgot a tote bag and I walked in and it was an entirely different, entirely different kind of experience. You do this sort of like walk of shame on the way out the door. Like, and you have people, you ever done that? Like where you walk out without a bag? I didn't even purchase a plastic bag. I walked out with the stuff in my hands. Right. And I started getting all these weird <laughs> looks from people. They're just like, giving me this, this look that was just like, what is this motherfucker doing with six gallons of lemon juice and some cottage cheese? You know what I mean? So they give yeah. me this like look, they kind of like shame me a little bit. They're like, what kind of, what kind of wizardry is this, is this guy up to? You know? You know, I don't when know you walk because out of I never, store, I don't carry tote bags. I never carried tote bags. Even when they passed that ordinance, I still didn't carry one. I always bought the plastic bags. But the reason why I bought the plastic bags is because I used them for other things. Yeah. And I like, it, like to have the plastic bags as like extra stuff for whenever, you know, I don't yeah. know. I needed a plastic and I'm not, bag. I, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not one of those people that even buys the plastic bags. So when I'm walking out, I'm walking out with everything. Everybody looks at you like you like just robbed the place. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. yeah. Have you ever actually paid attention to some of the things that people have in their carts at stores? I, I never used to be one of those people that does this, but I just recently started paying attention to the type oh, of stuff I that people- I always look at people's carts <laughs> and judge them silently. I do. I, I do. I, I, I like, never ever used to look at them, but I started. I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, you could potentially determine- who's meant to be in your life and who isn't by what people have in their carts. You know, imagine oh, like yeah. if you, imagine if you were like a woman or a guy and you're just strolling along with your cart and you imagine like you meet your soulmate or your twin flame at Whole Foods, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have to like tell a story about how you met and you're just like, oh, I saw 20 containers of oat milk in his cart and I just knew that he was the one for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like his love for oat milks just seems so familiar to me. I feel like I've made oat milk smoothies with him many times before. You know, like you could, I feel like if you're, if you're strolling along and you're looking at somebody's car, I feel like you kind of get a vibe for who they are, you know? Oh yeah, totally. And you can kind of tell single people by looking at what's in their cart. If they have really? a lot of like pre-made items and oh. like single use type items, like stuff not to make big batches of food. Cause when you're yeah, single, like, you don't really cook like and make big batches of food for yourself. That's true. Least I, I noticed that. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't seem very cohesive. You know what I mean? It yeah. just seems like a bunch of just random stuff. Yeah. And I imagine yeah. maybe they're paying attention to the price, but then I, I see people that like, you look at them and they look like someone that can cook like a really good meal. You know what I'm saying? So like all the <laughs> food that they have in their cart are just all mm -hmm. produce and they're like wrapped up and they got a bunch of ingredients and like, you have absolutely no idea what they're going to make. That's how yeah. like obscure the stuff in their cart is. You're like, wow, this guy's like an alchemist of food. You know what I mean? Yeah. My carts look like that now that I'm married. But when yeah. I was single, it was like stuff for meal prepping. And I would like yeah. meal prep and have 
prepackaged meals so I didn't have to do anything but just grab it out of the fridge and heat it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Life, no? Crazy some of the things that you you see just in regular life when you start paying attention to that stuff. But hey, on another note, you went to uh, Burning Man, right? This is this is past Burning Man. We're recording this, but you had taken a venture up there. How did that go? Yeah, um, it was great. This was one of my favorite years, I think. Really? Um, You've gone how many yeah, years? Yeah, because uh, this is six, number six. Damn. So yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, the years just kind of all blend together, but there are certain things about every year that kind of sticks out, right? And this year, it was not cold at night. And usually, it is freezing cold at night, like bone chilling where your back, you know, and your muscles in your back cramp up. It's like that oh, cold. Yeah, um, this year, cold. it was super, yeah, earth cold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, you this feel year, it, from it wasn't the ground, earth cold. You know? Yeah. Yeah, this year was super warm. Um, there was a lot of dust storms this year. But um, what really stood out was because the last two years have been virtual like virtual Burning Man's and there was the renegade burns where it was just like random people showing up, but wasn't put on by the organization. So there were several years that people had time to create new art and create um, new art cars. So there were so many new art cars, so many art pieces. I mean, everywhere you looked, it was just like you're bumping into something and previous years it wasn't like that. So I I really love that about this, this year's Burning Man. Yeah, you sent me, Jen sent me some video and uh, I saw it also on, on YouTube, but uh, she sent me a video of uh, some drones and she was just like, you know, drones are going to slowly oh, take yeah. over the planet. Some of the stuff that they can do with drones is fucking crazy. It's crazy. What they can do with drones, like an average person can do with drones. Imagine what the military and our government and Secret Service can do with these drones. I mean, it's incredible. If you guys haven't yeah. seen it, look on YouTube, Burning Man Drone Show. It is insane. Yeah, Thousands if you of look at the creating pictures in the sky, it's like, whoa. yeah, the video that you sent me was just straight up like thousands of drones that were strategically positioned in this sort of area in the sky to look like a man's face, you know, mm-hmm. like a man's face or yeah. like a the, the man walking in the air, you know, you're able yeah, to create these huge elaborate images, right? Yeah, the um, the eagle eye, or it was like a, I don't oh, know, yeah, serpent eye. eye, I don't know, it was some type of yeah. eye, it was really cool. Yeah, no, that was great. So this, it was, a, it was a really cool year. Um, and talking to the people this year too, there were a ton of new burners. Every single person I talked to this year was like, oh yeah, it's my first year. So I thought that was really cool too. They undersold the event this year by quite a bit. Normally there's about 75,000 people there. Um, but this year there was about 50 and, um, a lot of new people. So I'm, Why did I'm they undersell to see it? like, uh, you know, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the rationale was behind that, but yeah. Well, I do know that they did away with a lot of the, like the plug and play camps. And um, what I mean by plug and play are people who have a bunch of money that don't contribute anything to the organization that just come in on their private jet and camps already set up. They have, you know, a a hairstylist, a chef, uh, an RV already ready for them to go and they pay, you know, I don't know, 25, $30,000 for the week. Um, so the organization kind of frowns upon that. So they shut down a lot of those camps. And you know what I wonder what it is, is that back on people. during like during COVID and during the pandemic, they had the renegade burn, right? And I, as far as I mm-hmm. understand or what I heard about it, the renegade burn was closer to how Burning Man was in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And I imagine that there were a lot of people that it brought them back to that time where they valued that type of culture a lot more. I imagine people that even worked at Burning Man went to that renegade. So maybe that was just their attempt to like bring it back a little bit. 
to like the roots mm-hmm. of what they stood for. Cause I, you know, we had Valerie on the podcast a while back and I was asking her this very question, like, what do you do about plug and play like camps? Cause they seem to operate entirely different. You have people that are like, are spending oh, yeah. tons of money uh, with teams that are like really like committing a lot of their time to making these art, these art installations work. But then you have these plug and play camps that are just like, Oh, let me just do all of this stuff because I have money. And it just seems to kind of like get in the way of the ethos of what Burning Man stands for, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a place for everyone, right? Um, But there are certainly extremes and the type of people that come with those extremes um, are different, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. I I don't know. I I haven't, I don't have a fully formed opinion on how I feel about plug and play camps because part of the magic of Burning Man is there's 75,000 people there just trying to blow each other's mind. Like that is the... That's kind of like the with the coolest, you know, newest art car or the coolest newest art installation, you know, right. trying to it's like out create of each other. Yeah. yeah. So and you know it it's expensive to do that. So right. you know the money has to come from somewhere. But uh, a lot of these camps and a lot of people that do um, these mega installations do a lot of fundraising and regional burns and things like that to raise the money in order to complete their projects. So. Yeah. So I saw Android like Jones, other... the, the Android Jones artist, you know, we probably, mm-hmm. you guys probably yeah. know who he is. I get like, or he did like a, an amazing, like phenomenal art installation that was like, it looked like a moon with all these like different oh. LED lights on it. Did you get to see that? Like a crescent. Yes. It, yeah. that thing was so cool. That was one of my yeah. favorite art cards this year. Very cool. Yeah. So did you have any, yeah. cause you've been yeah. to Burning Man several yeah. times. Do you ever get any insights that you took away when you uh, came back from that experience? You know, listen, like I think after... After the first like two, three, you know, um, it, yeah. you kind of know what to expect and you know what you're getting yourself into and you're, um, each year you come a little bit more prepared. You come a little, a little bit more prepared and the preparation for Burning Man, um, you can't underestimate it because something always goes wrong. Every single year is oh, yeah. a lesson in overcoming, you know, some kind of trauma or adversity. <laughs> And, you know, like our first year, for example, we um, lost the the electricity in our RV. We um, lost our generator. So we didn't have, you know, AC or lights after day two, um, which also meant we didn't have heat. We didn't have anything. Right. So we were basically in this box out in the middle of nowhere. And it was 115, 120 degrees inside our RV during the day. Um, And that's, uh, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't the plan. Right. But you're out there in the middle of middle of nowhere and we couldn't fix it. So, you know, that was year one. And then on the way home, um, we actually lost our brakes, our brakes caught on fire. And, um, yeah, so year one down there's, you know, the, the first year of expensive problems and adversity that you just kind of have to figure out. But, um, there's always something like that, you know, every single year there's something and it's a good lesson in patience too, you know? Yeah. Just shows you how like strong you are because when you're going against the elements, you know, everybody that I talked about Burning Man, they say it's not a comfortable and it's not an easy experience, but somehow it shows you how adaptable the human being is to elements like that, you know? For sure. Like, yeah. Like it's extreme when you came heat back, and extreme yeah. cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you, when you came back, um, you know, you're there for like a week pretty much. Like, did you have any trouble or uh, integrating back into society after something like that? You know, yes and yes and no, right? Um, I think, you know, and it goes to, it speaks to how many times I've been to 
every year I never want to come home. Right. I'm like, oh, I wish yeah. Burning Man lasted another week, you know? Right. Um, but now I'm kind of like, I start to stay out. I'll come in a little bit earlier. I won't stay out as late, like the last couple nights that, that we're going to be out just to kind of like slowly bring myself back into reality. Um, no. cause it's hard. It is hard reintegrating whenever you get home, you're like, Oh man, you're, when you're at Burning Man, you're with 75,000 other people that are really similar to you in a spiritual yeah. sense, right? That right. are, you know, want to raise the vibration of the planet, want to have a good time, want to, you know, experience this childlike love and, you know, um, love for one another, love for our love for each other. It's just, it's a really beautiful thing. So yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know that that I really have words for that. The first couple of years were really hard. And then, um, as the years kind of went on, I just kind of prepare myself a little bit better to come home. Yeah. And I think also there's something to be said about that sort of energy. You're, you've gone through it so many different times that you, it, it's sort of like emboldened itself in your life so that when you come back into society, you just have more of that love to give to other people. You know what I mean? You know, I feel I'm like a different in the person now. Yeah, I'm yeah. a different person now too. Like the the Jen that went for her first time six years ago, like wasn't nearly as spiritual or as connected or in flow as I am now, you know? Yeah. And I think that that has a lot to do with it too. Like as I've yeah. changed over the years and I've moved more on this path of spirituality, it's, um, it's, it's more part of my everyday life and it's not such a huge stark contrast like it was before. Right, exactly. Like it, might, it may have been a shock in the very beginning, right? You might have gone right. through that sort of like post Burning Man depression because you're seeing two polar opposite sides of how the world work. And then you come back into society and you're just like, holy shit, like things are absolutely different. But after a while, you kind of get the hang of it. And I think that sort of getting the hang of it is just you, now you've integrated that side that you've sort of explored as Burning Man into your everyday life. And so you're sort of like, I imagine you're carrying it out in everything that you do in regular life. You know, yeah, exactly. That sort of radical self-expression, that that type of spirituality and that awareness, that kind of just stays with you after a while, and it just becomes a part of uh, your everyday life, right? Yeah, you you start to integrate small things that um, you learn at Burning Man into your everyday life, and uh, that's something that I struggle with too. Is you know having more fun. Like I'm, I tend to be a really serious person, so whenever I'm out at Burning Man, I can have as much fun as I want to have. You know. And, right. you know, really kind of overdose on fun. but Right. Overdose on fun. Yeah. I love that. Overdose on and, fun. Um, and, and, and it's good that we're actually talking about this because the, the whole topic of the podcast that we wanted to focus some energy on today was just how, how our life changes once we have experiences like Burning Man, for example. I would say that that is sort of like a textbook kind of spiritual experience for a lot of people. There are people that aren't necessarily spiritual that go to Burning Man, but everybody that I know... Uh, there's a spiritual component to it. And if you're able to extract that spiritual component, bring it back into your life, it changes you, right? It changes you. So we wanted to spend some time on the podcast today talking about how it changes you, like how spirituality changes you, how enlightenment changes you, how awakening changes you in terms of your relationships, in terms of your friendships that you have in life. Because those are, those are where you're going to experience some of the biggest changes because those are things that sort of kind of provide you with feedback and, um, you know, those connections that we have are, are, I guess, the more pronounced things in life that we can catch on to. So wanted to talk about how life changes 
in terms of our friends. Has life changed for you, Jen? Like you've been on this path for quite some time. <laughs> have you ever, I mean, I know that this is probably like a really, really loaded, loaded question, but since you're on that oh, path, sure. how has that sort of thing molded you and in, in your relationships? Oh my gosh. Like, are you talking about spiritual awakening and what happened? Oh, just Cause I pretty much lost everything. <laughs> yeah. I lost my business, my boyfriend. Yeah. Like everything. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't yeah. lose my job thankfully, but that was the only thing that I kind of <laughs> held on to. Um, <laughs> but everything else kind of went to shit, but in the best way, I mean, I yeah. could feel it coming though. I could feel this call to something greater and that there was something more out there for me. And as I was following, as I was following my heart and following my spirit, um, you know, other people in my life just started to fall out of resonance, you know? Right. Like right. my, that, uh, our, we were on vibrating on different wavelengths and, um, yeah. and those people just started to kind of fall out of my life. Right. And that is the part, that is the piece that uh, we, I think we wanted to talk about today because that's, it's a really important piece. It could also in some ways be a really misunderstood piece about the whole thing because the whole idea is that once these people sort of start dropping out of your life, that you just become this sort of lonely, solitary person. That may be the case, but it's not a negative thing. Right. So talking mm-hmm. about these changes that happen in enlightenment, that sort of naturally natural natural crumbling away of untruth tends to cause this sort of like rapid change in your life where suddenly the people that you're used to corresponding with, maybe even people that you grew up with in your entire life just suddenly don't fit into your life anymore. Right. So how do mm-hmm. we go about moving through life when things like this happen? And I think that's what we wanted to talk about. But before we get into that, just to kind of give you a brief overview uh, leading into this whole thing is like, okay, well, if it's going to change our life in the way that it does, well, what exactly is enlightenment, first of all? Like, what exactly is awakening, right? I would say, I mean, it is a very complex thing because it's very personal to each person, but the fundamentals are pretty much the same. It is this sort of sudden, gradual recognition of our true selves in contrast to our ego, right? It's like you're creating space, suddenly there's something inside of you that awakens that isn't your brain, that isn't your ego. It's not this false image that you have of yourself. Suddenly through some you know, uh, trauma that you go through, it could be through pain or loss. It could even just be through your own spiritual practice of experiencing joy and love. Suddenly you get this feeling that there's something else inside of your body that isn't your mind, right? Mm-hmm. And once that awakening happens, I mean, that is earth shattering in itself because this, one day you realize that you're not who you think you are, right? Oh yeah. 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 And it's crazy because you'll hang out with somebody for the last time and not even really know that this is the last time that I'm going to be hanging out with this person, you know? Oh yeah. It's uh, yeah. So what was your awakening? Like, what was your experience? Mine, my, that's, that that, it's a collection of different experiences that I've had. Right. Yeah. I won't go too far into every single one of them because literally Jen, I'll talk for like an hour about every single one of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? But I've had awakenings through these, these the gradual or even just sudden re- awakenings through meditation, through plant medicine experiences, through reading one passage in a book that invoked mm-hmm. one of the most serious panic attacks that I've ever had in my life. Right? Wow. It was a, it, this book that I read where I was just reading this passage, and I can't remember exactly what the passage was, but there was this surge of energy that went through my body. I mean, one can say that it was like a kundalini awakening, but this energy surged down my back up into my, you know, my, my third eye, and I freaked out. And of course, this was at the very beginning of my spiritual awakening. I didn't know exactly what was happening, so I thought I was going to die, right? Yeah. You experience this out-of-body type of experience, and then you kind of 
it, it causes you to go in this quest to find out exactly what happened. That is just an example mm-hmm. of one thing that happened. There was also another time where I was like sitting down watching a documentary about Sri Ramana Maharshi, the sage of Ruanachala, right? And it was just a documentary about his work. And he's one of like the, I guess, the most well-known when it comes to Advaita Vedanta, Hindu spirituality. They called him the silent prophet. He didn't talk very much. Anyways, I saw this documentary of his and it was so engaging because a lot of it just entailed his uh, interviews with his followers or people that have actually met him in real life. And just hearing the experiences that they went through, just sitting in front of this guy for like an hour and a half to two hours, I started to feel what they possibly would have felt at the feet of the master in India when they were with him. And I felt this feeling that I've only felt on plant medicine, on psilocybin. I've only felt that in it, mm-hmm. that time. This happened naturally without any of that. It, 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 there was something that opened up in me. And it felt like this, this nectar shooting through my body. And it felt like it felt like I was a flower that was starting to bloom. And even that freaked me out because it was a, a, a samadhi type of experience that was so strong that I just didn't know what to do with myself. I thought, literally thought I was going to explode with bliss. Wow. If that makes sense. That's if, cool. if you can kind of contextualize that, experiencing so much bliss that literally your body can't even handle it. You know what I mean? Wow. It was just, yeah. So- Maybe we can have another podcast where I talk about all these little awakenings, but when something like that happens, whether or not it's a sudden or a gradual type of awakening, it sort of, it, it, it shocks you in a way where you start looking at life differently, right? It is mm-hmm. a crumbling away of illusion and untruth and mostly everything that we imagine to be true about life. You start to realize that everything that you think about life is something that is really just contextually understood with your mind and something that is more or less probably inherited by somebody else. And so nothing about what our mind tends to hold is really original. Like it's all recycled information. And so if you, once you get to that point of recognizing that everything that you think is ephemeral and really is just subject to the elements of nature because your brain houses that information, there's this recognition of something else, right? There's something else that isn't affected by all of that stuff. And that changes you. You know, it's a deeply humbling experience when you realize that you're not the center of the universe, you know what I mean? Because, (laughs) you know, because we only believe that we, we, everything that we believe about ourselves is perceived from the ego, right? So Mm -hmm. naturally you feel like everything is about you because you're this, this vantage point looking out into the universe. But once a spiritual awakening strips away that ego, even if it's for a small period of time, there is no division between you and other people. And you realize that you're not at the center of the universe. Like you are the universe, but with everybody else, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's basically this sudden recognition of union between all things, right? And it's, it seems like a very fluffy thing to say, but until you experience what that really is like, like looking into somebody's eyes and, and literally not seeing them, not seeing that person or their name, you're literally seeing God look right back at you. And you're literally seeing God look through your eyes, looking at them. And in that moment, if you happen to be in a room with one person, there's only one force in that room with you. You know what I mean? There's just God looking at God looking at God and there's, there's, there's no you, there's no them, there's just one force. And that can be a very earth shattering thing to experience if you're not prepared to, you know, allow your ego to just disappear for a little bit and actually experience the vastness of God. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, I didn't have like a super profound experience like that. It It was gradual. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It was totally gradual. It was more like, um, a, a slow burn of, you know, this like, 
desire and almost like this weird fixation I had with knowledge. Like I had to just learn more and I had to have my questions answered and I just had to know, you know, what was really, what, what's really fucking going on, you know? <laughs> and what's really going on? I'm not here? just, I'm not just talking about like, I'm not talking about politics, not like that. Like I, yeah. I was, what's really going on with the universe, right? Like how, right. how did I get here? Why am I the way I am? Why was I put in these situations? Why did I overcome them to get me here to this place where I am today? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just like more of a thirst for knowledge. And then the more knowledge yeah. I had, the more things started to manifest in my life uh, more quickly and then, yeah. you know, once I realized the key to manifestation, then that just like opened up a whole nother door of, of spiritual activity, you know? Yeah. So, so that it wasn't, seeking, I didn't have this, like, I didn't have yeah. this, like, I don't know, like major no, but aha that, moment. Like that seeking is in my mind, just as major as an aha moment, because the seeker inside of somebody isn't just a desire to want to know, like that is driven by love, Right the main moderating force inside of you that wants to know what life is all about, that's, that's driven by love. That is a force I think inside that every single person has that awakens up, that, that, that awakens within, within them at some point. And that's when you start asking those types of questions, right? Because you, there's whatever, if it, even if it happens to be the most insignificant thing, there's something that happens in your life that causes you to start questioning, like, what is this all about? You know, yeah. like that is hardwired into humans. Like I think that every single person gets the opportunity for that. And uh, the people that are just a little bit more diligent or, or want to see what it's about, will start paying attention to that energy. You know, I think it's, I think it's mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is it, it's built into the fundamentals of being human at some point. Maybe it's a part of our ability to just be self-aware. Something starts asking questions, you know? That seeker is like a very, very normal part because that seeker will lead you to that place of like those sort of big, profound changes. But it doesn't have to be some crazy nervocalpa samadhi experience. It can just be something like an awakening can happen by just being outside and staring at a fucking tree. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like it can be, yeah. it can be a, that's the, the paradox of the whole thing. It can be a huge event or it can be a seemingly small event that is really fucking huge too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah, looking at, absolutely. like looking at a tree, and seeing the way that it moves. Or I mean, if you've ever had like a plant medicine experience, you know you're looking out in nature. It, it's insane that the fact that it even exists at all, right? Mm -hmm. And how it how it all interacts with the environment and with each other. Every blade right. of grass, every leaf, every flower, every molecule, every everything. It's so it's everything. amazing. Everything, Everything works together. Like the one thing that I noticed that that awakening, that that enlightenment tends to do is it strips away all definitions that we have of things, right? Because the awareness inside of you, the spirit inside of you recognizes that all the definitions that you have of everything in life are man-made, right? Definitions mm -hmm. of things only exist because we want a sense of control in a really, really crazy unknown world. It gives us a sense of grounding in our environment. And those it's good things. It's good that those definitions exist, but we get lost in categorizing things. Like we get lost in definitions of things. And when you get lost in definitions, eventually you stop seeing the nature of what you're looking at and you're seeing definitions instead. So one, mm -hmm. like, one thing that I noticed about enlightenment is once it's stripped away all of those definitions, once I realized that everything that I was categorizing was something that was moderated by the ego, that drops away. And the only thing that's really left is you're looking through the, the lens of your eyes 
like a child would. It's like you have no idea what anything is. Like you can go outside, you can see a tree. And even just the fact that I'm calling it a tree is me falling into that same behavior, right? So if you go outside and you see something that you thought was a tree, isn't really a tree. It becomes really alien. You know, it's like you don't know Mm -hmm. anything about this thing, but it's been here for a long time. You know, like everything becomes so ancient and so sacred. And you're just like, wow, this is really, if you look at a tree from that perspective, everything becomes alien shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, trees are alien shit. It's crazy how they communicate through their roots with other trees and exactly. Nuts. And how they can pass nutrients to each other. And, you know, if a tree's dying, all the other trees can, you know, resurrect them. It's fucking crazy. Exactly. Exactly. So enlightenment is just this sudden awakening of something deeper inside of you. And if you are on that path and you're listening to this podcast, you probably already experienced something like that before, right? So you know what we're talking about. So how does enlightenment change us? And of course, this is very personal for everybody because everybody's experience is so different. But again, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already have an idea of what enlightenment is and also how it's changed you. But there's a few things that I just want to point out, right? It allows us to be a little bit more intuitive and more hyper aware of our behavior in our environments, right? It allows us to perceive the true motivations of people. Like if we're going to be talking about how our relationships change, you're able to see things in a really simple way. You know when someone's coming from love and you know when someone's Mm -hmm. not coming from love, right? Right. And so it allows us to perceive the true motivations of other people, right? Yeah, agreed. Yeah. That's something, and that's a really good point. And that's not something I've I've ever really given much thought to. Um, But yeah, it does. It does open up like a new uh, sense of empathy. Right. It's true because, you know, the, the one thing about love like when I said that, you're, you're, you're able to see who's coming from love and who isn't. Love is not one of those things that's moderated by ego. Like love is an energy that expands and grows. So it's, it's really one of the, the most true emotions and feelings that we have because love is how we're optimized to feel. Like we operate the best when we're being loving. And we can see how our life falls apart when we're not being loving. And so mm-hmm. once you know, enlightenment strips away all of the sort of illusion of ego, you're left with you either love or you don't, right? Yeah. The human being is being loving or they're not being loving. So when you go and you're interacting with other people, you're not coming to the conversation with motivations. Like you're not trying to get something from them. You're not trying to, you know, uh, get money from them or get some sort of favor. Like your relationships become very, very simple and straightforward. There's either love in this relationship or there's not, Right. And so yeah. that's how I, I feel like when you, uh, how it changes you is that when you have conversations with people, you know who really wants to know who you are and who doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, who really wants to spend time being your friend and who doesn't. Yeah. That's something that I kind of discovered was, is there, is there honesty in this relationship? You know, yeah. like, am I being my authentic, honest, true self with this person? Are they being yeah. their true and authentic self with me? And the answer to that was no in a lot of cases. And I had a few friends fall out from that Um, just because, and I think a large part of that, it's not like I was doing that on purpose, right? It's just, I didn't really know who I was. I didn't really get it yet. Like I was still just trying to figure out like where my place was and how I fit into the world and what made me happy and kind of what made me tick. So I was trying out all these different things that just were, you know, not in resonance. 
And that has to happen, right? Because that's just what mm-hmm. the ego does, right? The ego is, is, is compiling information in order to figure out like who it is, who it wants to be. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I noticed about like awakening is that once your life becomes a lot more simple, you start to notice like all of the things that aren't you and all of the things that are. Like uh, a lot of the relationships I noticed, like when they started to drop away, it was because I no longer needed anything from anybody. You know, I no, I no longer... Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, it, I guess that can kind of easily be looked at in a negative way. It wasn't that like I didn't need friends. It was more of the fact that I couldn't offer what it is that they wanted from me anymore, right? Yeah. Like they, they either wanted my – you'll notice that a lot of relationships or friendships that we have are motivated by this type of give and take. Like what can you give me? What can I give you? Like there's some sort of transactional nature behind it, right? I'm talking about like friendships and relationships prior to – some sort of spiritual awakening. Of course, you have a fair share of people that you love and people that have you have authentic relationships. It's not like you don't have authentic relationships unless you've had an awakening, but you'll notice that you're a lot less willing to put up with inauthentic relationships after you have, you know, reached a certain place in your spirituality. And you, oh, because sure. you don't like, need a whole lot from zero. Your, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It, and because you don't need a whole lot from your friendships, right? You mm-hmm. start to actually notice the true motivations of the friends or the people in your life, you know, like you, yeah. you, you start to, you're, you're able to notice, like if you're operating from love in your relationships and your friendships, all you want is just a loving correspondence with somebody. And that person isn't willing to give that to you because you're not giving them, you know, whatever it is that they want, whether it's monetary or some sort of opportunity or opportunity or whatever, like those things just sort of naturally drop away and they become also less interested in you too. You know, when they feel like they can't gain something from you, right? Yeah. And it, and the other part of it is that your interests change, you know, and you stop yeah. connecting with that person because you're not interested in what they have to offer anymore. And then, you know, as soon as there's no interest, there's no relationship. It's, it's bizarre. And it's yeah. bizarre how quickly it happens too. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely is. I mean, it, it, there, there's so many things that we can talk about how enlightenment changes us, Right. It, it enlightenment means to sort of lighten our three-dimensional loads that, so that we can live a more simple life, right? Mo- both emotionally and physically, right? So it illuminates a lot of things. You know, like we, we, I, I noticed that in no long, you really no longer feel a need to chase things like wealth or recognition or popularity, you know, because in a lot of ways we, we stop relying on material things or relationships for our happiness. We'll notice that mm-hmm. prior to that, maybe some of our relationships existed as a way for us to just sort of like rely on other people for our happiness. You know what I mean? Like we, mm-hmm. we, we, we rely on other people to maintain something that we should maintain ourselves. And then once we experience something really profound, we start to start to love ourselves. You know what I mean? There's something in us that causes us to not rely so heavily on relationships or be codependent on them, you know? So yeah, the codependency, of, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, how enlightenment changes us, you know, we no longer feel the need to impose our beliefs or ideals on others. You know, I realize that every journey is definitely unique and I allow people to believe what they want to believe. You know, I became less interested in trying to impose, you know, my beliefs on the other people. And, um, you know, I, I think it's because it allows us to see others as ourselves and there's, you know, really no separation when you're looking at it through the lens of unity, because you're outside of this scope of duality, you're like, you're not playing that game anymore. 
right? So just these are just some examples of how enlightenment changes us. Your story may be very specific to you, but you kind of get an idea. You start to awaken to something much deeper and something a lot more simple. And so how do our friendships change after awakening, right? And I noticed that if we're going kind of from the beginning, um, many people will support you in your journey, but there will actually be people that discredit your spirituality as like flowing or fluffy, or fluffy bullshit. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but... Oh yeah. Oh, totally. And that's, and that's another reason that back to point one, why I wasn't interested in trying to change people's mind. It's, yeah. I, I knew that they weren't ready to receive the information. Like they're not ready to, to hear it. So I could talk all I want, but it wasn't going to stick. It wasn't going to, it wasn't going to resonate. So kind of what's the point? Um, right. and yeah. It, and and that's, that's it. You know, they just yeah. think you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in those, in those people, obviously those are the people that find their way out of your relationship as you kind of start to evolve and venture along. But I wanted to actually talk about this because there, I did face a fair share of people that discredited my spirituality as phony, phony and fluffy hip, hippie shit. But mm-hmm. I think it, this happens with good reason in a lot of ways, because I feel like in, in spirituality, it's kind of been largely Westernized in our culture as a type of lifestyle brand, Right. And I have some strong feelings about this because I was a part of the community prior to this happening. It seems like nowadays Mm -hmm. it's become something more of a lifestyle type of brand. And, and the spokespeople at the helm of these sort of communities tend to be these sort of fanatical flamboyant types that tend to bring the sense of, I want to say false exclusivity into the spiritual community. Right. Yes. And, and, and those people tend to be the loudest people in the room. One thing that I noticed about, the community is that you have two types of people. Cause I thought about this, like why does spirituality bring out these almost type of like narcissistic types in the community? They are in a lot of ways, the reason why normal people look down on the spiritual community, because these are the people that are, again, are the loudest people in the room. So I thought about this. There are two types of people that get into this type of community. Let's just say maybe not into the work, but in the community is that you have people that are wounded or do you have people that have done the wounding? Right, so I would just say people that are wounded. These are the types of maybe impasse, HSPs, sensitive, like sensitives, codependents, trauma victims, things like that. You can find a fair share of people that are looking to heal from wounds in the spiritual community, and then you have the people that have done a lot of the hurting to other people, right? Mm. The ones that have done maybe some of the wounding to other people. These can be narcissists, people with borderline personality disorders, people that are on the spectrum type of personalities, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have this collaboration that takes place, right? And I, I've noticed just from my own experience with, with others, because I've been in the community for a long time, it does attract some type of narcissist type of people, right? Oh, yeah. Once they for find sure. their grounding in spirituality, they quickly tend to possess and control it, whether it be to try and monetize it, bastardize it into you know a teaching that they can manipulate people with, or, you know, they... The monetizing thing is is a, a a big piece, but anyways, the reason why I'm talking about this is they become the loudest people in the room in most cases, and I think this is the reason why. When you tell somebody like your family or your friend, like, "Hey, I'm going down this path of spirituality," they automatically think of these crazy fanatical people on Instagram or social media that are making it seem like a fucking carnival. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so yeah. I don't blame people uh, that discredit my journey uh, when I told them about it. You know, um, you just sort of like allow those people to just believe what they want, but I don't blame them for feeling that way. 
You know what I mean? I feel like every subculture has that though. Like, Oh, for sure. You know, Absolutely. even Christianity, like you have those, the, uh, evangelical, you know, churches where, you know, people are speaking in tongues and being healed and shaking on Sundays. I mean, there's, yeah, (laughs) I mean, there's, there's those types of people in, in every single subculture. Exactly. You have those fanatics in, in Christianity, you know, that's when I tell people like, and, 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 and people have this sort of, they create this false narrative that if you're in that spiritual community, that you just have to be a perfect person. Like you don't. Right. Right, but you do have a responsibility once you enter into it to tr- at least try and be a better person than you were before, right? Mm-hmm. But it just yeah. shows you how, regardless of whether you look spiritual or act spiritual, like your ego, those tendencies that you came in there with, can still find their way in the community somehow, and still take advantage of people, hurt other people. I mean, you hear about this all the time. Like, I've spoken to more people that were considered empaths that have been in relationships with narcissistic people within the community. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. And yeah. it, it, it attracts those types because you have two polar opposite sides being attracted by something that speaks to wanting to heal this sort of trauma from both sides, wanting mm-hmm. to be healed from somebody that has been hurt and wanting to heal from somebody that has done a lot of hurting to other people. So there's just a synergy that happens. So it's like, just like anything, like you said, it, it has its own... Crazy craziness to it. So we got to pay attention to that, right? Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. you know, so, you made a good point about uh, spiritual people having to be perfect. And, you know, that's why it's called a practice. This is a spiritual practice because you practice every single day. It's not perfection every single day. It's a practice. And yeah. it, it's hard. It's hard to live up to that um, expectation that, you know, you always have to be in a good mood and you always, and we did a whole podcast on this, you know, what it looks like to be spiritual. Like you're, you're going to have your bad days. You're going to, and that's okay. And it's okay to, you know, kind of slip back into your human emotions. Like that's normal. It's, but it's how you deal with it from there. Do you let it, you know, fester? Do you let it, you know, ruin your whole day, uh, mess up your relationships? You know, no. You, you've just got to get a hold of it and, and realize where that anger and that pain and that fear is coming from and then manage exactly. it from there. 100%. It's like, like you said, how you have a hold of it. Like we're, we're, it's, it's, you still go through the struggles in life, right? You still go through the same types of suffering. I mean, just because you're enlightened doesn't mean that you're never going to have your heart broken again. It doesn't mean that you won't experience pain. Alan Watts says that all enlightenment is, is a reevaluation of common sense. Because most mm-hmm. of the time, people live their lives not really thinking about their behavior or whatever it is that they do, right? But, and, and somebody might say, well, I think, I'm like, no, 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 I'm talking about like a really, really deep awareness of how your behavior comes across in life. And that mm-hmm. deep awareness is, can you distinguish and differentiate between who you are and what the ego is? That's all, that's the only difference between us and somebody that isn't spiritual. Is somebody that's spiritual, they, they can feel within their being that there's something else inside of the body that is not the ego. And once you mm-hmm. get your grounding on that, the ego becomes a tool. And if you're able to use your ego as a tool and not allow it to control you, naturally, if you go through any type of pain, you'll get through it really fast, right? The amount of time that yeah. you suffer is, limp- is, 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 is condensed to such a smaller magnitude than somebody that is asleep that doesn't even realize that they're causing and perpetuating their own suffering and extending it oh, as long, like yeah. longer than it needs to be, 
right? So being hyper aware, that's all it is. Yeah. It's being hyper aware. God, I look back on, on my life and all the, all the times that I was just like really suffering and really wallowing in my own self-pity. And, um, I was like, man, I was so asleep. I just had no idea. I had no idea. I, I didn't have the tools. I didn't even know what to do to change my circumstance. Right. And then once you awaken, you realize that like, this is your ego confused. Like you're trying to resolve your confusion with an ego that is creating the confusion, right? So it's like, you can't use the same tool that is driving you crazy in order to heal. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like your, your ego is the cause of your suffering, but then we use the ego to resolve the suffering that creates even more suffering because the ego is not designed for peace. Like it's not designed for that sort of spiritual freedom that you're looking for. The best thing that you come to terms with eventually is that you just got to leave that motherfucker alone. You know what I mean? Like you got to (laughs) just leave your mind alone and allow it to do what it does and just go on living your life, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I just have a little sidebar comment because I hear this a lot in the spiritual community too, that like, oh, you know, once you dissolve your ego completely, it's bullshit. You can't dissolve your ego completely. <laughs> like you need your <laughs> ego to live. So if anybody yeah. tells you that, they they are one hundred percent full of shit. That's oh, one hundred percent. Because if you didn't have an ego, like you had, you would have no idea how to eat food. You wouldn't know how to wipe your own ass. Like you couldn't put gas in your car. You couldn't have a job. Like there is a necessity to having it, but you mm-hmm. have to understand how to use it correctly, right? One, right. one rule number one is it's not you, right? Rule number mm-hmm. two is that there's something else that is inside of you that can control that. And, you know, the ego is a very, very useful tool when it's looked at as a tool. It's not a useful tool when it's confused with who you are. It just gets right. confused. You know, it's like when you start asking really fundamental questions about the universe, like you just get confused and stressed out, right? And you're like, oh, I'm so confused. It's like, no, your ego can't figure out who God is because your ego is not designed to understand who God is. Your ego is designed to keep you alive, to feed you, mm-hmm. to clothe you, to help you just move around life in a, in a comfortable way. But the reason why I feel like a lot of people are confused is because they're trying to use uh, <laughs> this organ inside of their body that isn't designed to do all of those things. Like give it a break, like just give it up and allow it to just do what it does well and just keep you mm-hmm. alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. So speaking to uh, how our friendships change after awakening, there will be people I notice that don't want to accept that you've changed for the better because in a lot of ways, and I've noticed, I've, I've noticed this too, people that don't accept your spirituality, even if you tell them that you're more loving or you're doing things differently, you notice how like they're committed to seeing you the exact same way because in a lot of ways they're afraid to see you in a different way because in a lot of ways that means that they have to change how they see you. Right. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, they, yeah. in some ways it means that they have to change their life. And a lot of people aren't committed to doing that. People are so, they're, they're, they're so stubborn in how they see other people. Like they would rather commit to seeing you as this suffering person so that they can be the master over you or that they can feel superior to you, right? Mm-hmm. People get offended when you actually start to care about yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And I also think that there's a weird jealousy too. They're like, why is this person so fucking happy all of a sudden? You know? <laughs> For no reason. <laughs> For no For reason. reason. What, what's going right? on? Like you if you know? be, yeah, if I you, kinda... I was just saying, if, no, you, I... if you were one of the, if you were one of those people that used to party, for example, right. And suddenly you don't feel compart, you don't feel compelled to party anymore. 
right? There are some people that will make you feel like shit. They're like, oh, you're a total buzzkill. Like, you're just so boring. Like, you don't have to go out anymore. What's wrong with you? And it's just like, in the beginning, you kind of take offense to that. You're like, whoa, wow. Like, am I just not a boy? It's like, no, fuck that. Like, you, it's, 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 it's easy how people just sort of project onto you if you decide not to do something. They're just like automatically result in just projection. Like, oh, you're just like a party pooper. You don't actually like to have fun, you know? Like, it's crazy how people will do that. You know, it's, it, that's so true. And it's funny because when that happened to me, I was like, well, I never really liked to do that shit anyway. I only <laughs> did it because I was like, because my friends were going and I was kind of forced to do it, you know, to, if I wanted to hang out with everyone, but I never really enjoyed it when I was there. So, you know, yeah. I'm yeah. just not going to do it now. Yeah. I mean, it's an important thing that you bring up. Like you're no longer willing to lie to yourself, right? Yeah. Like you're no longer willing to do things that you don't want to do, you know? And uh, I think there's another aspect of that, which is that, you know, in the beginning, you were doing it because you wanted to be accepted, right? You were doing it because you wanted to be accepted by these people. Because in some ways you were relying on them for your happiness. Well, once you awaken and you go through that whole thing, you're not doing that anymore, right? You're not looking, you're not outsourcing, looking for your happiness. And so if you develop their own sort of like compassion and love for yourself, who gives a shit? Like, if you don't want to party, you're not going to party. Like, you're not extracting your happiness from that. You were doing what makes you happy. And if partying isn't what makes you happy, then you're not going to do that anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no. Like, going to a loud-ass nightclub, um, <laughs> listening to music I don't really like, and having somebody spill drinks uh, on my handbag and on my shoes, and, you know, some 21-year-old drunk girl that's trying to fuck my boyfriend. No thanks, oh, dude. right? Like, no. She steps on your airwalks. <sighs> you know what though? That, that you know what you could be. This is the thing. You and I, white. I, <laughs> they're stepping on your feelers, Jen. This is the thing about like what you're talking about, though, right? Like, even if you weren't on a type of spiritual path, maybe there's a part of that that's worked into just aging, right? So, say you're somebody oh, that's yeah, never even sure. picked up a book by you know Eckhart Tolle or read anything involving like New Age spirituality or whatever. I feel like, in some unconscious way. If you don't spiritually and make the intention to evolve, like your body and your spirit's going to do it for you, maybe in a much slower way. Because mm. I know that when you're for 30 sure. or you're 40 years old, you naturally grow out of that shit, right? Like you're just like, I don't want to go and do that anymore, right? Because I used to go to bars and stuff like that and, and clubs when I was like in my early, early 20s. And now I'm like in my 30s. And I'm like, even if I wasn't practicing spirituality, I, wouldn't, I, I still wouldn't want to go to those places, you know? <laughs> it's so because true. It, it is... It's just, it's loud and it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me, right? And, another know, and this is another sensitivity thing too that you talked about earlier, how, yeah. you know, you develop new sensitivities. I, along the spiritual journey, have developed a sensitivity to super loud noises. And yeah. that I don't, I don't even really like to go to concerts much anymore if they're like too loud. Like I definitely don't want to be in the front. Yeah. It's really, really it, bizarre. But I have yeah. now I have this weird aversion to loud music. And, and, it, and it doesn't loud. even have to be like a chemical biological change. It's just like now you're paying attention, right? Mm -hmm. Like now yeah. you're paying attention. Like I noticed that I developed this crazy sensitivity to caffeine. I didn't have it before. I used to be able to drink yeah. cups and cups and loads and loads of coffee. It didn't, I, it, I felt it. I never lost sensitivity to caffeine. Like I felt it the same way every single time I had a cup. But somehow through the course of this whole evolution of me, I developed a sensitivity to coffee. I just can't drink it anymore. It's too strong. Mm -hmm. 
Like it gives me anxiety. Yeah. And I can't tell you, it's not like my body went through this metamorphosis where suddenly like I don't have a, the metabolism that can handle it. It's just, I'm starting to pay attention to how these things affect how I feel. And I would much rather feel peaceful than wired <laughs> with okay. coffee. I'm not saying that you shouldn't drink coffee, but you know, I was drinking lots of coffee. Yeah. I love coffee. I just love everything about it. The way it's <laughs> tastes, the way it makes me feel. It's just, oh, it's the nectar of the gods. It's my lifeblood. Yeah. But everybody, everybody develops their own sensitivities, right? Just relating mm-hmm. to what you're talking about, that that happened to me. Like there are just certain things that like alcohol, for example, like I used to be able to drink it, can't drink it anymore. Don't like the way it makes me feel. You know? Yeah. 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 And, I, I've noticed that, that I've acquired different tastes for things as well, you know, and yeah. I'm starting to fall out of resonance with alcohol too. Like the, really? uh, as I've been drinking here lately, the last, like, I don't know, maybe the last year, um, I just don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it like I used de- to. Are you developing more refined flavors like goat milk and uh, like Ooh. Gouda cheeses? And Ooh, like I love Gouda like, cheese. Like liver and stuff. You know, it's interesting. Like when you get older, suddenly you start getting a, you start getting this sort of like taste for weird, weird ass things. Were you one of those people? No, I've always had a taste for weird things though. Uh, like I've, yeah. uh, I think it's because my parents were super adventurous with food. Um, yeah. So we, you know, as kids, like our, my parents did not, uh, revolve their lives around us. Like our life revolved around them and what they wanted to do. So if they wanted to stay out late, they didn't give a shit if it was our bedtime. If they wanted to eat something, you know, uh, good, they didn't care if we didn't want it. If we didn't want it, then you don't eat tonight. (laughs) Like that's, that's that, you know? So, um, yeah, I've always been like really Rocky Mountain oysters for you Monday through Friday, Jen. Yeah. Right. That's Southern food. So yeah, things like there's so many different changes. Like I remember when I became a vegetarian and of course, you know, when you become a vegetarian, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's a lot more common these days, but I became vegetarian in a time where there weren't a whole lot of vegetarians or, and, Mm -hmm. and so more often than not, you're like the only family member in your family that's a vegetarian. And all of a sudden that just kind of knocks the brakes off of the, the, the security and grounding that your family feels and that came with its own little challenges. Like not even just with my family. The second you actually start coming out that you're vegetarian, you automatically get people that want to spar with you with that whole thing, right? Yes. There are people that are just like, yeah. oh, so you think that you're better than us, huh? You think that you're better than us because you don't eat meat? Or they think that you're automatically one of those like really radical PETA types that will just shit on anybody that eats meat. I've never been one of those people, yeah. but you know, there are people that are like that out there. And so whenever I would have... I was always reluctant to tell anybody. I would never tell anybody I was vegan or vegetarian. They're like, but you don't eat meat. I'm like, I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian. I just eat fruits and vegetables, right? So that whole definition I try to kind of throw out the window, but it triggers. It, like Stuff like that triggers people. I bring that up because spirituality does the exact same thing. Yeah, it does. And it's so funny that you say that because I remember when I committed the fact that you were vegetarian in my memory, I remember the exact moment I was ordering food for um, food for us before, uh, I think it was before a podcast actually. Um, uh, it was pho or something or ramen. And I asked you what you wanted in it and uh, if you wanted beef or chicken or whatever. And you were like, yeah, I don't really eat meat. And I was like, oh shit, that's right. <laughs> I totally <laughs> so, forgot. <laughs> so you know, you know, my mom has been in my life my entire life because she's my mother, right? And mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm 38 years old and I still go home 
right, during holidays, or I still go visit my my mother very often and spend time with her, she still she still tries to make me plates of food that have meat. She's like, Oh, you you want you want some of this, right? I'm like, No, no, mom, I've been I've been vegetarian for like the last eight years. And she's like, Oh, well, I didn't know if you were still doing that whole thing anymore or whatever. It's like, it, it's hard for people to accept. And I understand why my mom mm-hmm. was feeling that way because she's your mom. Like she wants to feel like she can take care of you. And there, are whole, yeah. there aren't a whole lot of mothers out there that have mastered the art of vegetarian dining. So it's like they, they, they mm-hmm. do what they can, right? So in some ways I actually ended up feeling bad because it's like your mother has these sort of go-to things that she wants to make for you because she's your mother. All of a sudden you're telling mm-hmm. her you don't eat those things. And they're like, well, what do I do then? You want me to just oh, make yeah. you a salad? Well, I make you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that's that's a whole struggle. I mean, and that's I've always been one of those people that have been really compassionate and understanding. I've never tried to impose my you know vegetarian views on other people. But you'll notice in the same way that you are, the same way that you experience when you get into spirituality, there are just going to be people that are triggered by it. They don't understand what mm-hmm. it is. They feel intimidated by it. They think that you're one of those people that just think that they're better. You're better than they are. And there's a whole lot of reasons why people feel that way. And I don't blame them, you know, but you just have to remain true to how you feel. And if they're not biological family, allow those relationships to just drop away. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some cases I even let biological family members fall away, you know? I mean, if you have to do that, I mean, it's always, it's definitely yeah. not preferred. There seems to be more of an preferred. obligation to try and make it work. But if you have to do that, you got to do yeah. it, you know? And you know, it, speaking of like those type of friendships and and and, uh, and family, you know, I I noticed that I was, as far as like you know how relationships change after awakening, I was less interested in nurturing friendships that lacked substance and meaning, right? Mm-hmm. You'll notice even like uh, even even in spiritual circles, you know that that people can look or come across as spiritual people, but still behave in a way that's inauthentic and unreal, you know, like I going back to kind of uh, uh, authenticity and meaning, like, so what if I'm one of those people that wants to have a deep conversation, like a deep, meaningful conversation? Like when I sit down with somebody, like, I want to know how they're feeling. I want to know what their experience in life is like. And that can be just triggering in and of itself because there are a lot of people that don't want to share those feelings, right? That vulnerability is very mm-hmm. intimidating for them. Like they, they, they feel triggered by that they, because they, a lot of people spend a lot of time creating walls around themselves. And so when somebody like me comes up to them and I'm like, no, no, I don't care about what you do for a living. I don't care about how much money you make. Like, who are you really as a person? Like, how is your life going? And you just either get somebody that wants to be engaged or you get somebody that's just like, who the fuck is this weird guy being intrusive, wanting to know about me? And like, all of a sudden it becomes a bad thing. You're just like, no, like, I'm not playing that game with you. Like, I just want to have a real conversation with you. You know, mm-hmm. like it became less interested in conversations that lacked substance or meaning, you know, like those things uh, aren't important to me. Did you ever go through things like that? Do you go through things like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I actually went through something really, really hard recently. Um, a very, very close friend, somebody that I considered like a family member. And it took years. I mean, it was it was years and years and years of this person and I like kind of falling out of resonance and um, yeah. And I just was struggling because I wanted to hold them into my life, like with a death grip, you know, just did not want to let them go. 
um, because I was just kind of like dwelling and living in the past on, in the good times and this weird, like, mm, I don't know. I, I had some sort of spiritual connection yeah. and, um, I actually had to cut cords. You know, I had to do a full meditation and cut cords with this person to release them from my life. And, um, since I've done that, I've felt so much better, but it, that did not come without a ton of guilt. Right. Yeah. Um, sure. because I, I, I love this person and I wanted to keep them around. Um, but at some point you just have to realize when it's time to move on and yeah. we're in different places in our lives and, and. I, we are on such different frequencies that the gap is just widening and widening and widening. And it was going to happen. It was going to happen eventually. And it was going to happen no matter what, like, I wasn't going to be able to stop it. Yeah. That's a really important thing that you bring up. I mean, that, that type of experience, like when those relationships or those friendships drop away, it isn't just like they drop away and you go on living your life. There is a grieving period that happens. Oh, for I sure. would call that quality that you go through a part of like the dark night of the soul experience because a lot of people feel alone after they lose all those people. They're like, right. I, I'm having to give up people that I've spent all my life with, people that I've had really amazing experiences with. I'm having to give those people up, right? And so the grieving process will take place. I mean, I've gone through that. I mean, you don't know that you're in a toxic relationship with somebody until you really start getting serious about your own spirituality and once you do, you start realizing how really toxic people are in your life. And that mm-hmm. can involve you excommunicating somebody that you've held so close to your heart in your life, your entire life, or the time that you've known them. And that can be excruciatingly painful to give up, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have a lot of things to kind of give up too: trauma bonds, mm-hmm. codependent traits. Yep. Like you're doing a whole lot of healing by giving these relationships up. So it's not an easy process all the time. But the one thing that keeps you going, like the one thing that keeps you dedicated to your practice is that you care, you start to care so much more about your peace and the love that you have for yourself and the love that you have for the right people that supersedes any sort of toxic behavior that you could ever put up with in your life. And that is what keeps you dedicated to being alone if you have to, right? Mm -hmm. Like nothing is more important than your peace or nothing is more important than being able to cultivate and nurture this love that you have in in yourself. And you may be alone for a while, but what'll happen eventually if you're really operating from that place is you'll start to notice all of the right people coming into your life. Right. Uh, That is magic. Yeah. You'll get rid of maybe 200 friends will turn into four really important friends. And more often than not, those four really important friends, you didn't even notice that they were there. The entire time, right? Because you have this entire group of people that were distracting you from really seeing the true meaning in your relationship. So when that 200 friends turns into four friends, you're just like, wow, I can't can't even believe that I had this type of connection with you. So yeah, you may be alone for a while, but eventually the right people will come in. You know, and that is so true. I, the, the issue with that is you are wasting your time and your energy on the wrong people, on these toxic people. And as soon as you move them out, as soon as you clear them out of your energy, that's whenever you start to vibrate with, with people that are on your level. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you either meet a new person or like you said, there's somebody that's been in your life that you become closer to. You have to move those toxic people out for the, to level up, to get, to get those better relationships coming in. Yeah. 
like I don't I don't get how there I mean there are people out there that like like having hundreds and hundreds of friends and that's cool. I question though how real and legitimate those relationships are, right? No, if we're going not, off of like Dunbar's of theory of like a hundred people, like your mind can't even fathom having that many people. But you know, like I question how real and authentic some of those relationships are. But when those people started to sort of leave my life, it makes you realize how much of your energy you were putting in, even in to bad friendships and bad relationships. When those things mm-hmm. stop and you're able to dedicate your life to your family and maybe those five friends, you have so much more of yourself to give them because you're not giving yeah. it to the wrong people, right? You're absolutely right, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's like you you realize who your friends are by the love that they share, right? You realize who aren't your friends by the sort of transactional nature of their behavior towards you, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's a very simple thing if you really start paying attention to it. It's like you meet somebody, you can feel whether or not they have the capacity to love, by whether or not they mm-hmm. pay attention and see you as a person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, someone can tell me that they're, uh, I mean, and, and I'm talking about even in spiritual communities too, you know, like you can still find people that are disingenuous within the community. Like you can tell me that you're spiritual all day long. And it, in, in some ways it doesn't really mean a whole lot to me because, you know, it reminds me of this quote by Jiddu Krishnamurti where he says that the word is not the thing, right? You can say that you're loving <laughs> and not be loving. Yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. Spirituality for me is not driven by what people say. It's driven by what people do and how they show up for you. And once you start paying attention to that, not listening to what people say, because you'll notice there are a lot of people that will tell you what you want to hear. Once you start paying attention to what people do, like how they show up in your relationship, that's when you start to notice where the love is and where the love's not. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You can't just talk about it. You got to be about it. You got it. You got to be about it right? Letting go of friends that no longer serve you isn't the only hurdle that we experience when we awaken. You know, the second hurdle for me is also letting go of friends we make, like I said, within the spiritual community as a result of our awakening. Because you'll find, just like I said, just as many transactional friendships in that community as you would in regular life. And I asked myself this, I really pondered this because I thought in the beginning, once I found myself into that community, that all the people that I meet were going to be just like me. And more often than not, they are, right? But I just thought to myself, well, why is this? Why do we still find these types of people in the community? And I think that because enlightenment tends to create this really unique excitement in others that inspires them to want to share it with others, right? And it isn't that sharing of it that becomes an issue. Uh, what becomes an issue is when people begin this journey of wanting to monetize it. And this is where I've experienced a lot of my bulk of these type of relationships is that you have people that want to be your friend only because they want you to do a sound bath for the retreat. You have these people that mm-hmm. want to be your friends because they want to put together a retreat or they want to put together some course or they want you to collaborate with them on something that involves charging other people. And I get it, mm-hmm. that happens, but there, there seems to be this little tinge, this tinge of inauthenticity, inauthenticity with some of these people because when I turn them down or I say they don't want to collaborate, I don't hear from them again, right? Or it's like, oh. I do collaborate with them And we're like best friends. And then when I don't, suddenly they're not around anymore. So it's like you really have to pay attention to how people operate because even if you're in the spiritual community, you're going to find those types of relationships. And you have to also allow those relationships to just fade away and focus on the people in your life that will be loving. And and, and in some cases, to be honest, some of my greatest friends aren't even in the spiritual community. These are just people that have just maybe have a loving nature and – you know, they're not trying to just create 
$5,000 retreats in like, you know, some remote place of like Mount Shasta. These are just regular everyday people. Like you can find friends anywhere. It doesn't have to just be Agreed. in the community that you're in. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of, a lot of things about this whole thing. And I think uh, just being true to who you are and creating healthy boundaries for yourself, you'll know what it is that you will allow and what, what you won't allow in your space. And you'll know the reason why you're letting those relationships go and the reason why those relationships are no longer valid in your life, right? You'll find that people don't, like you'll find that people drop away, not because you don't vibe with them or because you push them away. In fact, uh, at least for me, enlightenment allows us to more readily accept all of who somebody is. Like, I'm not going around saying like somebody has to think of life in the exact way that I do, right? Mm -hmm. Just because I'm a spiritual person, I don't, ex I don't expect any type of special treatment from somebody and I don't expect anybody to believe what it is that I feel. What it did was it allowed me to accept everybody, right? It allowed me to accept every, everybody within reason, of course. I think enlightenment allows us to more readily accept all of who somebody is. The question is whether or not they will accept all of who you have become, right? Sometimes yeah. they don't. Naturally, they fall away. It's a question of whether or not they will accept you. And if they don't, mm -hmm. they fall away. It's not like we go pushing people out of our lives. It's whether or not people are yeah. willing to accept you. I mean, there's assholes in every form. <laughs> <laughs> it's, right? It's true. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's... That's what it's all, you, it's just all about this recognition, right? This radical recognition because you really care, you, you really care about what you subject yourselves to. And I want to end it Absolutely. on this, unless you had anything else that you wanted to say, Jen. I think, I think we kind of said it. Uh, you know what? I do have one more thing to say. Yeah. Um, because I experienced this myself, you know, having guilt about those relationships that have fallen away and feeling like, oh, should I give that person a call? Like, is it up to me to, you know, keep this going? And yeah, I mean, sure, I, I could give them a call, but you know, what is that going to do for either of us, you know, by, yeah. by keeping the friendship going, you know, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to, to cut ties whenever it's time. And it doesn't mean it has to be some dramatic event. It's like, we're no longer friends. It doesn't have to be like that. Uh, you can just let somebody kind of fizzle away and, and fade off into the sunset and, and still be friends. You know, I, I have a ton of friends that will reach out to me randomly and, you know, that I haven't talked to in months. And then when we talk, it's like, you know, uh, one day hasn't gone by. And that's how you know when those are true and real friendships. You know, yeah. if you if you run into an old friend and you have nothing to say to each other and it just feels awkward, then, you know, there's a reason why you're not in communication anymore. So yeah. be open-minded. Don't be afraid to change. Yeah, 100%. Like I said, like I, it caused me to, it allowed me to just accept everybody for who they are and where they're at in their life. I have friends that I only talk to like once a month, friends that I, I talk to maybe like once every other month. And if they are your true friends and they understand you completely, time can go by. And I have those friends, like a month can go by, two months can go by. When you finally meet up again, it's like you never, ever left, right? Yeah. They accept you for who you are. They understand that life happens. And they just want in that moment to enjoy life with somebody and they'll just meet you where you're at, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how I sort of try and approach it. It's like, I will accept you for who you are if you can accept me for who I am. And it doesn't exactly. mean that we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, wake up at 4 a.m. and do uh, 
a 4 a.m. sort of sadhana. It doesn't mean that you have to like go to sound baths and, 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 and do all that kind of stuff. You just have to be like a loving, caring person, right? And a good human being on the earth. That's a good human, good, good human being on the earth. And all the people that aren't in my life as a result of my practice isn't because I pushed them out. It's because they yeah. couldn't accept me, you yeah. know? Like they couldn't accept me or they couldn't, you know, pass the sort of barrier or the wall that they've created to allow themselves to be vulnerable and real and like deep, mm -hmm. you know? You know, once the, once the spiritual door is open, there's no turning back. It's not like you can go back to sleep. That's not what happens, you know? Yeah. So whenever you're communicating with people who are asleep and you're awake, it's, uh, there's, there's a big contrast, you know, and uh, people who are still asleep and are not ready to wake up. They need to do that on their own time. And, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe in the future, you're part of facilitating their awakening. Who knows? But maybe you're not. And if you're not, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, like, it, it, and also wanted to say, it's, it's not like I don't fall asleep every once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like if, if you have an ego inside of your body, which everybody does, like every once in a while, you're going to not pay attention or every once in a while, you're going to fall asleep and do something stupid, right? Yeah. Every once in a while sure. that happens. And that sort of like spiritual awakening, once you become more aware, those things just start happening less frequently, you know, mm -hmm. after a certain period of time, maybe you can fine tune that and you can be really, really, you know, good at staying awake. But I just wanted to just talk about the fact that like, we're all, we're all kind of essentially the same. You know what I mean? Like it's all like what Ram Das calls this sort of question of walking each other home. Like, I think most people want to be awake. I think that maybe people just don't have the tools in order to, you know, get to that place. But that's the whole journey, you know, that's the whole journey that they go on. Like some people will take them three or four lifetimes to get to that point. Some people will take them one lifetime. I mean, it's all, it's all happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there's this quote that I wanted. This journey, for sure. Yeah. There's this quote that um, I obviously really, very, very love because Adi Ashanti is one of like the, the masters of this whole thing that we're talking about. If you guys have ever heard of Adi Ashanti, he has a really amazing book called Emptiness Dancing. He also has another book called The End of Your World. And um, he says, it's not that enlightenment does anything to you. It simply shows you the nature of reality. And uh, when we finally experience it for ourselves, we have no choice but to change exactly what you said, Jen. We can no longer remain asleep in unconscious behavior because we become hyper aware of everything that prevents us from experiencing our true selves, right? So it's not like enlightenment does anything to you. It just shows you, it pulls the veil, pulls the veil out. You're able to mm -hmm. see everything for what it really is. And once you see it, you're like, holy shit, like I, how could you possibly go back the same? Why would you want you to? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, why would you even yeah. want to? You can't do that. I mean, you could, but you would be lying, lying to yourself. Once that door is open, you, It'd be really, really difficult to, to close it if you can even get it closed at all. But yeah, I would just say, you know, if you're on your spiritual journey, you know, keep going. If those people sort of fall out of your life, it's okay. It's a part of it. You know what? You're not the only one going through that. I still go through that. I don't think it's like a linear thing. I think that it just, it's a continuous yeah, thing that happens. It is. You know, you can spend an entire life watching the people that come into your life drop away, but it's a part of the whole thing. You're not alone in that sort of dark night of the soul experience. This whole thing is a journey and it's constantly evolving. So if you ever feel like you're alone, trust me, you're not. I go through the same type of stuff 
that we're talking about right now, just like Jen says with her friends, right? It happens. Anyways. It happens. It happens. Yeah, thank you guys for tuning in to Vinyl Woody's podcast. Thank you guys for tuning into the show. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Also, if you're on YouTube, we record these. If you go into the description of the, the podcast, you can find the video if you want to see us on video. Like and subscribe, or actually subscribe if you can if you're on YouTube. Um, you'd rather look at it that way. If you guys want to reach out to us, you can reach out to us on Instagram. And that's where we post some of our content. Or if you want to be on the podcast, let us know. We would love to have you if you have a really amazing uh, story that you wanted to share or just some wisdom that you wanted to share. We'd be open to that as well. But uh, yeah, until next time, friends, namaste. Namaste, friends.